welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. The hairdressing industry means different things to different people, but when all said and done, it's a business. And yes, businesses are about people and creativity and creating opportunity, but businesses are also about numbers. And although in many ways as an industry, we're often slow to embrace technology, it is technology that gives us easy access to the numbers and information that allows us to build better businesses. In today's podcast, I'm talking with Ronan Percival, CEO of an Irish hairdressing industry success story, Forest Salon Software. Amongst other things, we will discuss how Forest continues to evolve as a company. What are the main KPIs that salon owners should focus on? What are some of the differences in salon performance depending on the country that you live in? And the Forest ownership model. And that's just to start. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. So welcome to the show, Ronan Percival, CEO of Forest Salon Software. Good morning, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. Ronan, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us this morning. Uh, you're the first one we've we've had on the show so far from a um, you know a, a salon software perspective, and um, I'm always intrigued. I mean, in fact, the longer I've been in this industry, the more I'm intrigued by you know the numbers side of the business and uh, and what you guys bring to you know the story with the, the the data that you're collecting in different salons all over the world is an invaluable source of information information for, for hairdressers everywhere. So um, where do we start? Um, I'll tell you where I want to start, and that is with the name, uh, Forest, uh, spelt P-H-O-R-E-S-T. Uh, how did you come up with the name Forest for the, a salon software company? Uh, it's a really long story, so I'll give you the really short, uh, the short version, which I think people might find a bit more interesting. But the first thing was we wanted a unique name that we could inject our own meaning into the to the brand so that when people said forest they knew it meant us and what we stood for uh, rather than saying you know salon software or salon ultimate or something like that yeah sure um, and i think that's worked really well for us so over the years we do stand out from a lot of our competitors who have more kind of traditional tech names let's say yeah okay um, and the name itself, the idea was, you know, our logo is an acorn. And the idea was with a system like what we do, we help with their marketing. We help get help salon owners get their clients back more often, spending more in the salon. So the idea, it's all about growth. And you plant a seed in your business by taking on forest and it grows into a tree and then potentially into many trees um, and into a forest. So that was the idea. Okay. Oh, that's good. Good story behind that. So obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but uh, I mean, people are going to pick up on your accent. Uh, my audience listening to this, uh, uh, probably 50% of them are in the United States, the rest of them Australia, UK, Europe, etc. Uh, yeah. Forest is an Irish-based company, yeah? Yeah. Our, our head office is here in Dublin where we started, but uh, less than 10% of our clients are actually from Ireland now. Okay, so what, what sort of penetration do you have globally now? What countries are you represented in? We're just coming up to 7,000 salons live on, on Forest, and over 1,000 of those are in the US, which is our fastest growing market. 
Um, and then over 3,000 of those are in the UK. So that would be the our, traditionally our, our biggest market. Okay. But we're also growing quickly in Germany, where we're coming up to 1,000 as well. And in Australia, where we launched last year, we already have 300 salons live in Forest. And we're also in Finland as well. So we're, we're beginning to spread out. Okay, fantastic. So how did you get into it? You're not, you're not a hairdresser. Uh, I'm not a hairdresser, but I did get into it by working in a salon. So um, if I go back to when I was about 23, uh, one of my first jobs was actually working as a receptionist in a busy salon here in Dublin. And uh, I didn't go into that job thinking I would spend the rest of my life in this industry. Uh, but my first day on the job, I was just blown away by the vibe, like by the atmosphere in the salon, which is different to anything I'd ever experienced before. You know, and you'd, you'd know this well, Anthony, but... Um, you know, I'd worked in, you know, I'd worked in a, in a corner shop, like a spa, I'd worked in a takeaway, I'd done jobs like that. Um, but they're so different in a salon where everybody walking through the door looked forward to coming in and they just sort of bring that energy into, into a salon and then they go and they, you know, they get pampered or, you know, made to look more beautiful or feel more beautiful, whatever it is. And then they, they leave feeling even better about themselves than they did when they came in. And it's impossible not to feed off that energy over the course of a day. And I found that standing behind a, a desk in a shop, it really dragged. After about 20 minutes, I was looking at my watch, counting down the hours until, until I could finish my shift. And in the salon, it was like I walked in and then it was like five minutes later, I'd just done eight hours and I was walking out. And I kind of had a feeling then I was going to spend the rest of my life working in this industry okay so what was the what was the transition from you know receptionist uh to you know ceo of a you know a global software company i mean did you i mean i suppose the obvious thing is you saw an opportunity you saw problems you saw yeah, something problem. that was, wasn't in a salon that you had some expertise that you could bring to it well i think i think you find an, an awful lot of salon managers start out start out at the desk i think you know um, and there's a reason for that is because the desk is where you're seeing the actual business side of what's happening in the salon, right? It's not the creative side, it's the, it's the business side. And that's where a lot of the challenges are and where the opportunities are. And so the salon owner was called Tina. And because I was, um, I was taking the appointments, but I was also taking all the pill, I would know when she had a bad day. I'd know when she had a good day financially, almost from, from within a week of working there. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're out on the floor, you sometimes mightn't find that out for a long time, you know? So I think that's one, one kind of advantage to, to, to being working at the desk. And the other thing was I had a friend who was a programmer. Um, she was working off, in those days, 15 years ago, she was working off a book for appointments. And um, she had a problem with no-shows. You know, we were, I would count sometimes up to three no-shows in a day. And the average appointment then was about 70 euros for her. So that was like 200 euros a day that she wasn't making um, because of no shows. And I wanted to do something about that. So I got um, a friend of mine to program up a very simple appointment software that just sent out reminders by text message. And uh, at first she didn't want to do it. She said like, you know, way, I know, you, you know, you're working here, but I have another reception. She's not going to do this. Um, and it was before anyone did this. So, so, uh, it wasn't something that was kind of normal, like it would be now. And I said, look, I'll do it. I'll put all the appointments in, I'll write them down in the book and I'll put them into the software. Just let's give it a go for a couple of weeks. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely positive. We're going to be able to cut down on all shows. Um, so she said, okay, fine. If you're going to do all the work, that's fine. So I put in the appointments, um, and literally after a month, 
we cut down on no-shows by 70%. She dropped from three a day to sometimes less than one a day. And, uh, and all it was was just reminding people of the appointment. Okay, fantastic. So but then I, you knew you were onto something, and, and that's yeah, where it grew at, from. At that point, I was like, there's something here. I didn't, it had, wasn't Forest at that stage, but it was like, wow, there's something here. But where, how it actually developed into Forest was, so that was, um, that was sort of like September, October time. And then she, and then I forgot about it really. Like we're still doing that to do the no-shows, but I forgot about, you know, developing it because it was really busy, you know, November and the run up to Christmas. It's hectic. You run off your feet. You don't really have time to think about anything else. Um, so she's really busy. And then like come January, we were off for like a week. And then I came back in on the 3rd of January or something like that. And uh, I, I was the first into the salon after Tina herself. And we opened the book and there was nothing in it like she had a few appointments for herself but there was no appointments for anyone else it was absolutely dead and she'd had this amazing christmas and it was like you know the, the low after the high you know um and i'm sure many salon owners listening to this have have felt that many times and so we were looking at it and she was like i don't know what to do you know it's going to be quite we're just going to have to you know cut some costs and just bear this out until things pick up and then i remembered all the phone numbers we'd collected for the for the appointment reminders. And we had over 1,100 phone numbers and names in this little piece of software. And so I said, why don't we do a promotion to them like tomorrow and just send them a text message? And at that point, nobody had ever sent any promotion by text message in the sound industry anywhere in the world. I didn't know that at the time. I only found that out later. It was 15 years ago. Um, and it would be another like eight years until anyone even did it in the US, right? So it was, it was really early days when it came to this kind of thing. So she's like, okay, it sounds mad, but you know, the last idea kind of worked. Um, so what we did was we, the, one of the brands she worked with, we got them to give us sort of like travel size shampoos and conditioners of a new line that they were launching uh, for really cheaply. And so we, we had like 300 of these. And so we sent out the text message saying, if you book in in January, you'll get a complimentary shampoo and conditioner. And um, so she didn't do a discount or anything like that. It was purely extra stuff. And uh, we sent out the text and within an hour, the phone didn't stop ringing for maybe three days. And I knew because I was, I was the one having to take all those calls and book them in twice to the, to the paper book and to the software. Um, so I was run off my feet, but it was amazing. She was booked out almost for the entire month of January and even into February, and people were booking into February, even though they weren't getting the shampoo and conditioner. It just, it just got people to, to take action. Um, and, and it was at that point, to be honest, Anthony, at that point, I was like, this is way bigger than, than me doing this job anymore. You know, like, this is like, I, there's something here. There's a company here. There's some sort of idea. Um, and then that's really where Forrest started. So, so you, you're not a programmer yourself. You're just the guy who just saw this opportunity and pulled different people in to, to develop this, you know, bit of software, which is basically a glorified text messaging app yeah. to start that, with. That, that, that was what it was. Yeah, it wasn't like we didn't even know what Salon Software was. Really, we were like, wow, marketing. And so we went out, we, we built, you know, I ended up leaving there a few months later once we got my friend to build a bit more to the software. Yeah. So do appointments and do, you know, process your sale as well. And, um, and then send out marketing text. So it had about four features on it. Whereas like sound software today has thousands of features. Yeah. Uh, but those four features had two big hooks. One was cut down on no shows and also fill your quiet days with a text promotion. 
And it was a very simple message. And it really, you know, it resonated because it was simple for people to understand and it worked. It worked in both counts, you know. So okay. it, we started getting, we, I, I say like, oh, wow, it's a simple message. We only signed up 12 salons in the first year. So, but that felt like a lot to us at the time. And I think we did like 30 the second year. So, but, um, uh, but yeah, like it, th- those 30 salons loved the f- software, you know, yeah. like they, like it really made an impact. And, and of those 30, the ones that are still open today are still our customers. So, um, so that was the start of a long journey with that. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Right. So, so you, you, you left Tina, you, you started up this fledgling business, uh, by yourself. Did you have any, any partners in the business at the time or it was literally yeah. a business unit of you? Yeah, the guy. So Tina's boyfriend was um, uh, was was a sort of entrepreneurial type as well, and we kind of connected on things. So he he was he was and he was more of the sales guy. So he he uh, he sold it, and I kind of did everything else. I didn't program, but I like I designed up what the software would look like, and yeah. I did the customer support, the training, you know, the finances. I did everything else. So we were kind of a good team. His name was Jamie, and yeah. between the two of us, we just got going. And those first twelve clients. Was, it was three of us in total, Jamie doing the sales, me doing everything else, and then the, the, the programmer. He was only doing it part-time yeah. at that point. Okay, so how big is the company today? How many people working in it? So we've 220 people today. Wow, and in 15 years? In 15, 220 people working full-time today. We've had obviously more over the 15 years. Is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah. Okay. So, and... Uh, um, and most of, so we'd have about 120 here in the head office in Dublin. Um, we'd have, we have over 30 people in the U S 20 of them in a, in an office in Philadelphia and then offices in Brisbane, in Cologne and in, uh, in Helsinki. Okay. So, um, gosh, there's so many directions we can go off in here. Um, uh, first one I want to ask you about is that, you know, from your perspective then, I mean, it's a crowded market now. There's a lot of different point-of-sale uh, salon software out there. Uh, what is it, in your opinion, that, that makes Forest uh, unique? The same kind of things that made it unique then. So even then, there was a lot of salon softwares, believe it or not. Uh, Technology has come, like we found out, like we thought we were sort of the first people to do this, you know, when we first started the company and I left Tina's. Yeah. But we were able to count 40 companies doing it worldwide within a few months of just searching on the internet. So there's a lot of companies even then. I mean, there's more now, you're right. Um, but the market opportunities got a lot bigger as well because more salons have software. And then there's softwares for different types of salons now. You know, back then there was just one salon software. If you're, if you're on your own, like a freelancer, or you maybe have two people, there's loads of softwares for, the, for those kind of uh, salons. If you're like a massive multi-site chain, um, there's a different type of sound software for that. You know, different companies do that. And then if you're like, what we do is sort of more mid to high-end premium independent salons. So one, two, three, maybe up to 10 sites, but usually one to three sites, um, but have more than five or six staff, usually have maybe around 10 staff or 10 stylists or yep. therapists. So, so that's kind of, you know, in that segment, there's a bunch of companies doing that, but there's not... Um, there's not that many doing it very well, I would say. Yeah. So that's just in terms of that kind of thing. And then, but what our unique take on this back in the day was marketing. Like we helped get your clients back in more often, spending more. That was our mission from day one. And that's what, you know, so doing the reminders, cuts down and no shows, it's getting your clients back in more often, right? And sending out a promotion like that we did with the shampoo 
you know, that gets your clients back in more often spending more. Right. So yeah. this is, all, that was our mission. And I think that was different to a lot of the companies. A lot of the companies were really like, um, bringing technology to the industry or computerizing your salon. Do you know what I mean? Which is yeah. a different thing to what we were doing. Like we didn't, it just happened that we were using technology, but really we were trying to achieve something with that. And so oh, that's evolved more now into really having the best marketing tools in, in, in the industry. So people buy Forest not to just get salon software. They buy Forest to get the best marketing tools they can have as a salon. Um, so things like, you know, their own branded app in the app store that's beautifully designed that makes your salon look as good in someone's phone as it does, you know, if you walk in the door of this salon that you spent 200,000, you know, making the premises look amazing, right? So, it, you know, we'd have amazing email tools to make sure all that email communication that you're doing looks beautiful as well. The texting still doing that, obviously. Helping them online, we make sure that they rank really high on Google. They have more reviews than anyone else on Facebook, Google, Yelp, or whatever the, 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 the platform that you're trying to make sure that you appear really high on, um, you know, and on and on and on like that. So we just make sure your business online or or is marketed as well as what you've built internally in terms of your bricks and mortar sure so you know you, you started off in ireland now you're in multiple different countries uh obvious question is to ask is is what differences do you see uh, if any in the different countries that you operate in um culturally you know the us the uk and ireland and australia say for example they're culturally they're quite similar There's, i mean people from those countries probably you know, complain from about me saying that, but in terms of the industry, you know, people go to salons, they get their hair cut or, or styled, and you know, they buy products. It tends to be the similar brands that are available in these different countries. And even in Germany, it's not a million miles different as well. So there's a lot that's very similar, but this, it's the nuances that are, that are interesting. Like why do some salons do better for some things in some countries rather than others? Um, and so one thing that jumps out at me is, I find very interesting is what's the average percentage of turnover that's re made up of retail? Because the salons that sell more retail are the ones that make a lot more profit because they don't have to add more. You know, a stylist will generate, say, 100,000 a year in service revenue. And if she sells no retail, that's it. But if she sells 50,000 in retail as well, it's 150,000. But it's still only one staff member, you know, one seat in the salon. It's the same amount of space. All your other costs are the same, aren't they? Yeah. So that's, it's just such a huge um, driver of salon performance, I think, retail sales. So, so I'm always interested to know who does better at that. And it's something we've always helped salons with. And even going back to that original promotion, you know, when we, when we um, did the complimentary shampoo and conditioner. Like what was interesting about that is that they sold way more retail after that as well, even though they gave away that for free. Because all these salons started, customers started using that and then coming back and buying it from the salon, right? Yeah. So we saw that very early on. And it sort of became kind of a key thing that we're interested in. What's really interesting for me is to see, uh, of, of, let's just take those those four English-speaking countries. Um, so the U UK and Ireland, uh, Australia and, and the US. The percentage of revenue that we see in the salons that use Forest that is made up of retail. Um, and what's really interesting is Australia is miles, away, miles ahead. The average percentage revenue that's made up of retail in Australia, 16%. And that's average. We would have lots of salons doing 25 to 30% of their turnover in retail. So incredibly good retail performance in the salons in Australia. Um, and then that comes down to, you know, 11% in the UK, 9% in Ireland, down to 7.5% in the US. 
Wow. Okay. So it's quite a bit. And so there's other things, you know, like let's, you know, the salons in the US are, are making on our system anyway, are making a lot more money on service revenue. So they're, you know, they're, they're, there's other things that they're doing really well, but let's just, just talking about retail. Um, why is that? So I, I'm fascinated to know why is that? Is it just part of the culture or is it something else? So I, I spent two weeks in Australia in the beginning of August, just visiting a load of our clients and, and our office in Brisbane and, and just attended a few events. And this was the question I was asking everybody, like, what are they doing when it comes to retail? Um, and, and something did, there is something that they're doing that uh, other countries aren't doing to the same level. And it, it's consultations. So most of our clients in Australia do a consultation with every single client that comes in. And that seems to be the thing that I can spot that is very different. And if I look at the consultations, they have questions on them like, what is your aftercare? What, you know, what products do you use to maintain the look that you're going to get today? They ask questions like this every time the customer comes in. And when I look at UK salons and, and, and US salons, they, and I look, because we do the consultations in the software, it's part of the software, like on an iPad, you hand it to the client, you go through the questions with them. They don't, the US and UK sounds are, aren't rarely doing consultations. They might do one every couple of years. Okay. So, um, gosh, there's so many, so many things here I need to ask you. Um, so, so first of all, you know, I, I, you know, there's lots of statistics that are bandied around in the industry. Mm. And um, over the years, I've realized that a lot of them are based on, um, you know, they asked half a dozen people. <laughs> and, yeah. and based on asking half a dozen people working in one salon, they decide these are industry averages. Uh, mm. The reason I like talking to someone like yourself, and I also talk a lot with a gentleman by the name of John Harms. I don't know if you know John from Millennium. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John, like you, he has access to hundreds of different salons in different countries. And so he's looking at real hard data. So I always put a lot of weight on the numbers, you know, that you're spitting out now saying that, you know, these, this is what's happening. Um, if we just go to the Australian market for a minute, I know you said you're quite new out there, but that's based on a pool of how many salons? 300. That's so not, it's, it's, it's enough of a number. I yeah, feel to, definitely. To be to get a to feel like the number in the states would be a thousand and it'd be three thousand in the UK. Yeah. So I, I'm talking about this number as, as across a lot of salons. Yeah. And are they all similar business models with those salons in those different countries? Yeah. So I just yeah to to just clarify that our clients tend to be have at least five or six stylists and they would and often they would have ten or more. Right. So it tends to be more of a mid to high end salon. Would be would be our client. Yeah, who tend to sell more retail than the very small places. Yeah. Okay. If and and you you put some of that down to um, the consultation that is a like an iPad driven consultation yeah. where there's questions on it that someone talks you through. Yeah. So they do like they that's how they use it on Forest, but people do like there's lots of salons doing consultations with pen and paper as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, so we just we just automate it and make sure that it's you know all those consultations are included on the client history, so you know that they've been asked a consultation. Yeah. But so does it, does um so I I started to to discover this and then I was asking more and more questions, 
And um, there was a particular client, and her name is uh, Rebecca Hubbard, and she has a salon in, in Brisbane called Dexterous Hair. And she has amazing retail sales, like just off the charts. And she is she puts it all down to the consultation. And so I, 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 I've talked to her um, quite a lot, and, and we have in here as well, just to find out a little bit more about how she does it. So just to give you an idea, like she would have three consultation forms. She has one for your very first visit to the salon. She has one for your annual checkup consultation. And then she has your a, a very short one, which is your every visit consultation. And all those three consultation forms discuss, there's a question in it about your aftercare, like what is your home care plan or regime? Uh-huh. And she, she has the most junior stylist who's, you know, still wet behind the ears having these conversations with clients from the ages of 21 or whatever, or 20 or 19 with clients. And so it's trained into them from a really early age. And as a result, those guys sell way more retail, but it's not done. They're not really selling. They're just, they're just having the conversation with clients every single time they come in. And she's using the consultation forms as a way to ensure that that question gets asked rather than having to do a big, you know, motivational, kind of seminar with the team to sell more yeah they just have to f- do the consultation okay the now, i'm, I'm going to play i'm going to play devil's advocate with you here oh, please. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. because as a consumer i can't stand those consultation forms okay as a consumer i want that hairdresser to have the intelligence the charm the charisma the people skills to to look me in the eye and just as part of the conversation, talk about what I'm using, not using, how to use it, what I should be using, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I recognize the value in a guided consultation form um, uh, when you're training people to make sure that these are the touch points that you cover in a process. But mm-hmm. for me, as a, as a, as a consumer, I, I don't want someone putting an iPad in front of me um, and, and going through this list of questions. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting someone who has the confidence, the charm, the charisma, the personality, the intelligence to, to be able to, to talk to me uh, on a one-to-one basis without having you know, to, to, uh, you know, go through a series of tick boxes, because as soon as you have that, well, then do you really need the hairdresser? Um, okay. Really good question, Anthony. And yeah, of course you want everyone to be the way you describe, but you're describing someone on top, on top of their game. And only some people are on top of their game in any industry. You're only going to get, 10, 20, if you're lucky, 25% people able to do that every single time, just able to do it. You know, like, so what, what you're trying to do here with the consultation form is raise the standard of everyone. People who are on top of their game anyway, like the way you're describing, they don't maybe don't need the consultation form anymore and they're still going to achieve amazing results, probably even better results because it's going to be more natural. Yeah. But what about everyone else, you know? And what about training people? Um, at, at a junior level now okay so there's the training and you've i know you've you've, got, you've agreed with that anyway so that's fine um so you're having junior stylists learn to do this but also it's how she like i'd be i'd send this on to after you. it's how she asks the questions the questions aren't kind of like okay what's your name what's your date of birth you know going through all these things sure yeah you know like the 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 the, 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 the question there's like four questions on the 
on the on the, the regular one yeah. which takes like less than a minute and it just opens up the conversation and they're kind of written in a way that's really quite clever I think for sure. her anyway yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think there's there's um and uh, you know you don't necessarily have to hand it over to the customer to ring in you might just bring it over with you and just go you know what what's the look you're looking for today is there some pictures here should we have a look at something should we attach that picture to the consultation form you know do you know do you want to have another question they ask which I think is amazing which again if someone's on the hot top of the game like you described they probably do this anyway but one of the questions is are you prepared to do multiple visits to achieve this look yeah and that question that just results in amazing retention that question yeah because your customer is then agreeing you know just going yeah i do want to have multiple visits so they're com they're committing to multiple visits which for a person on their very first appointment and there's another um stat that we know from the system is that it takes usually at least four appointments for someone to become a regular in this in a salon so um there's a huge drop-off rate from people from their first visit to their second visit and all the way down to the fourth visit and then after that the drop-off rate really narrows down. Okay. And so we, we, we know, like, if you get somebody in their first visit to commit to coming in for multiple appointments, the chances of them turning into a regular client for, for 10 years are massively increased. Yeah. They're just from simple questions. So, so I think, yeah, there's, there's interesting things happening with that. So, again, in different countries – because uh, that, that's you know that retention issue is huge. You know, it's, it's one thing getting a client in once, but as you've just said, if you can keep them, you know, three, four, five, ten, uh, twenty, to turn them into a five or ten year, you know, client. Yeah, uh, do you see a lot of variation in different countries as to what retention rates are? No, funnily enough, the retention rates tend to be about the same. So the, the thing with the consultation forms is Rebecca, that client I was talking about, she asked that question. Yeah. But I haven't seen that question. And I was just saying it to you because I think it's a great question. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. That question asked a lot. Whereas yeah. I do see the one about the what's your, your home care regime. Yeah. I see that asked all the time in Australia and not asked as much through consultations anyway. Sure. Sounds anywhere. But the, yeah, so the retention rates tends, tends to be, uh, tends to be about the same. And particularly like the, the, there's a lot of figures you can look at there, but, but on average, less than 40% of people who come in for their first visit, repeat that, repeat, come in for a second visit. In less than 40% come for a second visit. Of first visits. Yeah. Right. So people sometimes look at their retention rate and they go, well, my retention rate is 90%. But like the 90% is probably all your regulars, you know what I mean? And then your, all your new clients aren't coming back. So it's, it's, you kind of have to look at retention rates on a, what, how often have they been coming to basis? It gives you a much better idea of, um, of how you're performing when it comes to retention. Yeah. So, so what would you say? Uh, okay. So you've just said short term retention rate. So repeat visit after one, uh, mm -hmm. an average is 40%. Um, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, lo Long-term retention. So, you know, keeping people for a year. What, what are the figures that are, are around that? Um, so I don't, I actually don't have those figures to hand right now. So I'd be just telling you stuff that I know. Right. I, I hear. But um, so the things I do know is that on average, it takes four visits to become a regular client. Yep. Um, and that's pretty much the same everywhere. Um, and that's usually, that's probably six to eight months if that makes sense yeah. in terms of timeline. And so at that point, the person's kind of used to coming to you. So that makes sense, you know, why it would take four visits. Yep. Um, so the, the drop-off rate tends to be 40 or 50% at each step before that. So if you have 100 new clients come into you, you know, you get 40 in for a second visit. 
that'll drop again by half for the third visit. So you'd be down to 20 for the third visit, dropping again to maybe 10 by the fourth visit. Wow. And, and then maybe from the fourth visit on, you might only lose one. Yep. That makes sense? Yeah, no, so that makes sense. New clients, um, you'll be doing very well to have 10 to 8 regulars. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things you touched on uh, really quickly there, you, you, you were talking about retail, uh, how, how it was good in Australia, uh, not so good in the US. Uh, mm. and, but then you said, but in the US, they had much better service uh, profitability. Uh, talk to me about that. What, what, where were you going with that? So, um, but just compared to the UK, so the average, now, again, I'm not talking about the average across the whole industry. Yeah. I am talking about a certain type of salon, do you know, as well, so yeah. who we specialize in. Um, but, you know, you, you'll, it'd be very common for the average ticket price, service price in the US to be $100 to $150, right? Right. It'd be very common. Um, whereas in the UK, uh, you for a lot of our clients to be looking more about the 50, 50 pound mark. So right. it's quite a different in terms of uh, the level. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. But you're, again, you're talking very much about your target market for the type of salons that you typically exactly. specialize in. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, very interesting. Um, so one of the things that before we before we got on air, you were talking to me. Uh, I was asking you about Forest as a business, and you said something that really blew me away, which I weren't expecting. And um, so I, I I want you to talk about that. And, and and what it was was I asked you. I said, so do you own the company? Um, tell me about that. Tell our audience about that. What your answer was to that question, because I thought that is a brilliant answer. And there is an obvious segue into how that impacts potentially on the hairdressing business model, which is constantly changing and in many ways looking a little bit lost at the moment. So uh, over to you. So our ownership structure is is quite interesting in that 80 of our of our team here own shares in the company. And once you've been with us six months, you're given the opportunity to, to buy shares in Forest. So between myself and those 80 employees, we own the majority of the company. And we've set it up that, that we will, the company will always be owned by a majority of people working here. So even after I pass on, um, that'll be passed on to people who work in the company. Um, and the idea behind that is that we, we live a thing called being an evergreen company, which is that we're building forests to last forever. Um, and to be the mission of the company is to help salons get their clients back in more, spending more. That's with technology today. It might be with whatever in the future. I don't know. Um, but that's the mission that people join the company for. And when they buy shares, they buy into that mission and maintain that for a long time. Um, I think it's, it's really important for a couple of th- reasons, because if investors own the majority of your company, um, and then they are always looking for an exit. And that exit may not be today, but it's going to be within the next three to five years. And I feel that there's an, an awful lot of amazing brands in any industry, but especially in our industry, um, where brands are built up, they do this amazing job for clients, uh, for helping salons in whatever way it is, whether it's through products or technology or whatever it is, um, and then they get sold. And once they get sold, the spirit of the company dies a little bit. Um, and their impact that they have usually lessens and then the, the company might be used to squeeze more money out of clients or whatever it is. Um, and then you see amazing brands, and I'll say it here, like, like Wella, for example, who, who every couple of years they get sold, and every time they get sold, 
the impact seems to be a little less for, for, for salons. And like, well, is a great brand. It's an amazing brand. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way in any way. I just feel that, you know, if they were given more of a long-term outlook, they could have a much even bigger impact than they're having. Yeah. Um, and we want to have that kind of impact with Forest. So are you saying that Forest can never be sold? Like, obviously, technically it could be sold, but it's set up in a way where all the employees would have to agree to that happening. Right. So it's it's a it's like a cooperative almost. It's it's almost like like a, if, I think if we were starting again, probably would have started something as a cooperative. But because it started fifteen years ago, just with myself and then with Jamie, yeah. Um, we've you know over every, every year goes by, we increase the amount of shares that are owned by the staff. Yeah. So um, but I I so it's not a full cooperative. It's a, it's a normal company with shareholders. It just so happens that the majority shares are held by by employees and myself. So we still have investors, by the way. It's like about, I'm not saying investors are bad. Yeah. Investors obviously help. They fund you and give you money, which allows you to build a product and have an impact. So I'm not saying investors are bad. And we have investors and we have amazing investors. But the investors own a minority of our company, and that's the way it will continue. Right. So you're the majority shareholder in the company, you personally. Then there's and investors and then other staff members. I don't own the majority and the staff don't own the majority, but together we own the majority. Right. Okay. So I, can't, I can't sell the company sell so, the company on their own. Okay. And investor can't sell the company on their own. So, so if I'm a staff member and I have bought into the company, so I bought some shares in the company um, and I've been there for five years and now I decide that I want to leave the company. Do I yeah. forfeit those shares? Do I sell them back into the company? How does that work? No, you own the shares. Yeah. You're a proper shareholder. You own the shares. So um, you can either keep the shares. Yeah. Okay. Um, or you can sell them. But the mechanism we have for that is that they're sold back to other employees. So that's how when, when employees uh, every year are given the opportunity to buy shares, they're buying them from um, either other employees who've left or who are still there. Um, or we're, we're creating more shares that they can buy to increase the ownership that they have. I, I think that is brilliant. I mean, I often talk about, you know, the business models that are existing in the hairdressing industry at the moment. And, you know, I, I look at, um, I usually use legal firms and accountancy firms as a, as, a, as a model to explain what it is I'm talking about, where that in order to grow, they offer um, you know, uh, shares or partnerships within the company. You know, so you get these big legal firms or big accountancy practices or whatever. Whereas in the hairdressing industry, it's often very, you know, um, it, people perceive that the only way to grow, the only way to earn more is to leave and open up their own salon. So we, as an industry, globally, we're very much still this sort of cottage industry. And um, I think this sort of model that you're talking about um, uh, of giving people, um, you know, shares, not giving, selling them shares so that they become owners, uh, I think is a, a, you know, a, a real a direction that a lot of people should be and will be, I believe, um, you know, em embrace in time. I, I totally agree because I think you're seeing, obviously, particularly in the US, but you're seeing, you know, obviously this flight to booth rental and things like that, um, which um, is people wanting to, to, to own their own cake, let's say, but it doesn't necessarily lead to quality, right? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I think the partnership model you talked about with accountancy firms and lawyers is would work really well in the style industry because it's a profession as well, right? Yeah. Like a lawyer is someone who gets trained 
and then hones their craft. Um, you know, and then eventually they work hard enough, they become a partner and then they become beneficiary. And then when they retire, they sell that back to whoever the next person coming up is. Right. So it, it's, it's a perfect model for a salon. You, you know, you train, you do really well, you hone your craft and then you, you become a partner in the salon. And then when you, you pass that on at the end, I think, I think, um, or you, you don't pass it on, you sell it. To yeah, the next exactly. Person, yeah. Right? yeah. So I think it's, uh, it, it's it's a perfect model and and it would it would give people a much more feeling of ownership of the salon that they work in rather than just the owner you'd have yeah. you know maybe seven eight people all fully committed to that how yeah. does that impact on the culture within the company what's the sort of upside you've seen of that well so things like this we obviously share we share all our information so every month for example there's a financial meeting when a couple of guys from finance share all the numbers all the profit, loss, costs, things are going well, things aren't, with the whole company, not just those 80 people. Those 80 people do get access to, you know, everything that a shareholder would get access to, which makes them feel more committed for sure. But we also try and, and because we're sharing with so many of the people, we just share it with everybody. Do you know what I mean? So that everyone can, can, can get access to, to what's happening. Yeah. And, and it's not just financial information. It's, you know, like I write a letter, a three-page letter to the team every, every week on stuff that's going through my mind and different things that are happening around the company or in different countries and sharing that. And then other people are writing stuff as well and sharing the information, you know, through different mechanisms. And we try to share everything that's happening and keep a really open book policy on things. You know, like I'm still the CEO, so obviously, you know, if a decision has to be made, I'll make it. But the idea is that people should have, if people have as much information as possible, then they can be more autonomous and make better decisions as well themselves. Yeah. And as a result, then they feel more part of Forest, or they feel like they they you know, they own a lot of them own a bit of Forest, and then it's 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 their company too. Yeah. And that's the kind of feeling that I want there to be, um, anyway, or I've always wanted it to be like that. And yeah. I think it does exist here. How does that impact on staff retention? Um, well, we've we've um, you know as you, as a company grows, obviously the culture does change, but we've, we've amazing staff retention here. And, and I don't know if you know a website called Glassdoor. So there's a website called Glassdoor where, where employees rate the company that they work for. Yeah. And we actually have one of the three highest scores of any company in the UK and Ireland, 4.7. Fantastic. Out of five. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's literally only two other companies that are higher score of any company, not just our industry, like yeah. any company. Yeah. And we have the highest score of any company in our industry, like any of the brands, L'Oreal, Wella, any of the tech companies. Right. A lot of those are down in the threes. So that's kind of, and you know, that's not just one or two reviews as well. It's over 50 reviews. And so so that, that, a lot of that is basically linked directly to this ownership model. Yeah. They're not, like they're not saying in, in the reviews, oh, I own a bit. Yeah. That's not what people say. Yeah. People say is like the culture, it's open, you know, I feel engaged. You know what I mean? So they're yeah. talking about what that means to them. Yeah. As an employee or as a part and team member, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I could talk about that to you for the rest of this podcast, but um, uh, there's a couple of other areas I want to jump into. So, uh, um, yeah, let's move, let's move on because I think that's fantastic what you're doing with that. And I definitely see that that being the future for a lot of businesses, you know, in the world that we live in. And um, I think that, that hairdressers should really seriously uh, think of how they can embrace that sort of partnership 
entrepreneurship, um, you know, cooperative model into, you know, building successful salon businesses. So, um, you know, it's been a 15 year ride so far. Um, you're very young. I remember the first time I met you, I couldn't believe that you actually owned this company. Um, you know, I had, I didn't even know who you were when I first met you. Um, and I, I didn't realize that you owned the company. Uh, so I suppose what I'm leading to is this, uh, you, you've got a lot of life left in yourself and it's a 15 year company. Um, where do you see the company evolving? Where do you see, I suppose, bigger picture question, where do you see the technology evolving and impacting and changing on the industry what's it what's it going to look like in in 5 10 20 years time that's a big question Anthony. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a good question but i'll I, yeah i'll say a couple of things one is i i'm i intend to kind of work in this industry for the rest of my working life anyway um so and we've set forest up so that we won't it, i i'm not in forest to build it up and sell it that's never been my kind of motivation. So hopefully, as long as I'm still doing a good job here, I would like to still be doing forest for another 30 years and see where that goes, right? And I think, you know, we keep building it, keep building the impact we can have and hopefully adding more impact to salons over time. Uh, if when you talk about technology, you're looking at um, technology seeping more and more into everyday life. You know, everyone kind of knows that now. That's not a, you know, that's not something amazing to say. But what it does mean is that when you look at an industry, um, software is going to have more of an impact on this industry in five years' time than it is now. Yep. Um, and if you just look at hairdressing, like 10 years ago, there was like salon software. Now there's different types of salon software depending on what type of salon you are. But there's also like e-commerce. There's also social media, like Instagram. The, the second biggest uh, topic on Instagram or um, theme of, of pictures that are on Instagram is the hair industry. The second biggest out of everything. Do you know what I mean? I think it's yeah. food and hair. So like, you're uh, looking what's first? Food. Food, right? Okay. So, so you're looking at, um, you know, like, so Instagram has changed our industry, uh, as you know, right? Like totally. a huge amount of rise in booth renting has come from Instagram about yeah. young stylists being able to build up their own networks. So, like, technology is is massively affecting uh, the salon industry, but fundamentally it's not disrupting the actual craft itself, if that makes sense. So it still involves a human being taking a customer, putting them in the chair, talking to them, touching them, and, and doing something with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, so th and like that's, that, that is the magic of it anyway. It's, you know, it's like even just touching somebody, it's quite rare that, you know, that people touch each other now you know what I mean? Like, so, it, or it's less often that people touch each other now than it was in the past. So you, you have a, a thing and people need to be touched. So there's things that the industry does that we, they're a whole different conversation, obviously, that we can talk about for, for a long time. So it serves a purpose beyond just making someone make their hair look nice, right? It's, it's a social thing. It's a, it's a time for someone to feel pampered and connected with someone. So it, it serves all this, this kind of purpose and it, and it will continue to serve that purpose. I feel for, for, for a long, long time to come. Because I just don't think people are going to get a robot to do that because it's not just about what it makes you look like, right? Sure. It's, it's everything else as well. Yeah, the emotional <laughs> connection, isn't and it? That's, yeah. that's the same reason why cafes, there's more cafes today than there's ever been. But you can still get a coffee from a coffee machine in your house if you want. Yeah. But why do people go to coffee shops? Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. for the coffee. 
So it's the same thing. So, so, so experience, it's an experience business. And because of that, I feel like this is a career I can spend the rest of my life in because it's not going to get disrupted tomorrow by a, a company's going to come along and just replace all hairdressing with a robot. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, it allows, you know, it's an interesting industry to be in from that perspective because the craft itself still exists. It's just everything around it is going to be augmented with technology, I think. And so that's, there's a, a famous phrase that Steve Jobs said uh, years ago when he was very young, which is technology is a bicycle for our minds. Um, it's not a replacement for the mind. It's a technology to help augment the mind. Yep. Does that make sense? It makes you, before you had a bicycle, you had to walk everywhere. Yep. And then hit the bicycle, you stand on it, and now you can go way faster. It's yep. a tool that, that improves what you do. And I think that's kind of the way I would view what Forrest is doing uh, and will do in the future. Is like, how do we help salon owner provide a better experience for our clients? How do we, how do we help the clients, you know, spend more in the salon? So the consultation forms, for example, you know what I mean? How do we, how do we make sure that the standard is improved for junior stylists? How do we, you know, help with social media that they can get more clients from Instagram? We have tools for that, you know, all, you know, and on and on. So, it feels like endless the opportunities that we will have and the opportunities are increasing so i think it's an exciting industry to be in and it's an exciting kind of angle in the, in the industry to, to take um, and i don't know where it's going but i know that it'll be there'll be improvements for all you know from getting clients to getting clients back more often improving the service they get to how they get retail you know whether that's through e-commerce like making that so that the salon really gets advantage of that, I think is going to be a big challenge. I think it's going to be really important. Something we didn't mention earlier is one of the reasons why um, retail is down in the US as well is obviously the rise of e-commerce through Amazon, etc. So that's a whole different area. Um, but I think it's I think that's an area where salons can really do very well, and that would be something that we're working on over the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. How much of that? I know you said, you know, you've talked a couple of times about how um, there are now different point of sale systems for different types of salons and that the type of salon that you're focused on is predominantly a business that's got, you know, upwards of five, you know, stylists or whatever. Um, what, I'm, what I want to ask you about is mobile. Um yeah. Uh, how much of your emphasis or how much of the future do you see as being more about taking the technology into, you know, handheld mobile devices as opposed to the point of sale computer system? Well, like every day, 30,000 people use the Forest Go app to make an appointment or to do, uh, like I'm talking in a salon. Yeah. To do, to, to put in their appointments, do sales, do whatever. 70% of the usage on our product is on mobile already. Like when I, it's, when you're saying point of sale system, there is obviously usually an iPad or a computer at the desk yeah. that is still there in the vast majority of salons, but more and more it's going out to the stylist directly. Right. Uh, even in what we're doing. I know when you, when it comes to those, when you're talking about like a booth renter, they're, they're only using their phone and you know, the, uh, and that's slightly different. But um, because they, like, what's the point of them having a computer? But then in, in a salon, it's just changing. I mean, like you're seeing, it can be done through iPads. You're, you're seeing people get rid of their reception desks and kind of have more of a, a hostess or a host welcoming people. And they just have an iPad in their hands to, to, to welcome them in. You've, you've got places, not really what we do. We have the tech for it, but we don't really do those kind of salons where people self-check in. 
not mad about that because I think, you know, the whole point is having that human connection. So in, in, in a good salon, that's part of the experience. But we have the technology for that for people who want to do that too. Do you know where people come in and just key in onto a screen themselves that they've arrived and sit down yeah. and wait for the to come out? So, so you're seeing lots of different types of things like that being experimented with. Um, but like the idea of it, of it just being, you know, when you think a point of sale system is this clunky thing on the desk, I mean, think that's already gone or it's only part of the story anyway. In sure. The basket yeah. Okay. Um, what, what's your biggest frustration that you have with the, the salon industry from, from the perspective that you have with this, all this great technology, et cetera, you know, and you can see the, the benefits that it could have and how it could revolutionize and change so many salons, which desperately need it, but for whatever reason, don't embrace technology still. Uh, what, what is your, your biggest frustration? Um, like I love the industry, but there's things about the industry that I love are also the things that I really annoy me as well. Yeah. Like any industry, right? So the industry is amazing at the human connection, at making people feel good, you know, having that social element for people. Uh, it's amazing at all those things. But sometimes the skills that make you good at that are also, you know, they're real people skills. Yeah. And sometimes people who are really good at that I just, they just are more nervous or, you know, they, they're more anxious about letting technology kind of do jobs for them. And so as a result, technology has been really slow to take off in this industry. But I, I'd be hesitant to say like, oh, that's really frustrating. Cause I think if, if, if it was an industry that just embraced technology really, really fast, it probably wouldn't have that social connection on the other side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, yeah. that's what, makes it special so you kind of is there yeah. another industry that you look at that's sort of similar but not really um that you think gosh if only the hairdressing industry would be more like them with their uptake or of, on on technology uh i don't actually answer. like right. obviously in one part it was like yeah wow we'd love like twice as many customers because everyone would buy it you yeah. know without thinking about it. but but at the same time it wouldn't be the industry that that we're in like uh, it just wouldn't like the travel industry is, is a good one. I think, uh, to show you an industry that actually employs around the same number of people. Like there's about a hundred million people worldwide employed or working in the, in the salon industry. A hundred million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's beauty and hair, right? Yeah. And that's everywhere, you know, from Kenya to, yeah. to whatever. Right. So you, and you have about a hundred million people working in the travel industry as well. So that's just two of the largest sectors yeah. worldwide for employment, even though not in terms of mind share, they may, mightn't be, but in terms of employment. But you have, in the travel industry, technology has been there since like the 50s. Yeah. You had computer systems running all the check-in desks for airlines for, you know, decades and decades. And you have thousands, if not millions of tech companies operating in that industry. Sure. Doing lots of different things. Yeah. Not just booking flights, but doing everything. So you, you have that and then you have um a salon uh, an industry of the same size that just the tech is hardly penetrated really you know it's still it's still really early days yeah but i think that's exciting as well actually like that's what makes the industry really exciting like you're, you're you're you know you're still trailblazing in it yeah and so that's cool i kind of want to be working somewhere where you've got a big road ahead of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's cool. Okay. Uh, last question then. So uh, you're a salon owner listening to this and um, 
what should they focus on in terms of numbers? Okay, so uh, you're seeing all these numbers, all this facts, all this data that's or data, depending on the country you're from, um, uh, about what's going on in the salon. Uh, and so the question is, if you're a salon owner and there were three numbers that you should be focusing on that would directly have, you know, a really positive impact on a business, um, what would you suggest those three numbers should be? Um, I would say number one, what's your average ticket price? Um, and that can obviously be driven up by managing your pricing of services better yeah. or by selling more retail, etc. Right. So that's all those retail things we talked about and everything all drive comes off average ticket price. How often do your clients come back? So, you know, are they coming back every eight weeks? Are they coming back every six weeks? Whatever it is, if you can increase that by a small amount. I mean, this is all stuff you talk about actually as well. You know, you're going to, you can have a big increase. If people come every eight weeks and then they come every seven and a half weeks, that could be an extra $20,000 yep. or whatever. So they're, they're the two, they're two of the most important numbers. Um, and then the third number I feel needs to be around customer service, but it's hard to, um, like we track that for salons. So we, we, everyone that goes to a salon gets a review back on, on their experience. Um, so you get like, you know, busy salon might get 10 or 15 comments back every day into the system about what's happening, what the customers are saying about them and what they feel. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that that's, that's a really important to have. I'm not saying it's perfect because the scores tend to be very high. Yeah. So it's hard to try and figure out, you know, are we getting really good constructive feedback? But I feel you need to, if you're open to feedback and you're collecting it in whatever way you are, you're going to be, a, have a better salon if that makes sense. Yeah. They tell you what you need to improve or, or change. Good, good. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we need to wrap up. That's been an hour uh, almost. So by the time I edit a little bit out of this, it's still going to be close to an hour, but there's lots of great content in there. So uh, Ronan, I want to really thank you for uh, giving us um, your time and your wisdom and your you know experience in the industry. A great story. I learned a lot. I had no idea about the, uh, the origins of Forest and I had no idea about your ownership model, which I think is fantastic. So uh, along with everything else you're doing, um, how can our audience who are not familiar with Forest, how can they find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? So, um, well, the main thing is probably our website, forest.com, P-H-O-R-E-S-T.com. Um, we also have a blog there, which is very good. Um, you know, in terms, it's nothing to do really with tech. It's more to do with business growth and things like that. So that's blog.forest.com. Um, and that can be a good place to start. You know, there's loads of great topics there. Um, and I think, Anthony, you've even been on there before. So there's lots of good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the best place to start. Good. Okay. All right. Ronan Percival, uh, CEO of Forest, uh, thank you so much for your time. And thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.